So we're back here for episode 10, and this episode is a replay of a live broadcast that I did with a good friend and colleague, Dr. Lucretia Hall. If you're familiar with the concept of the Avengers movies, uh, maybe you've had to go see some, you didn't want to, but your kids did, or your uh or your spouse or partner did i love them by the way comic book nerd i digress if you're familiar with the concept of those movies of a of a super team that can do things that other people can't the guest you're about to listen to is a super team unto herself you'll see i don't want to spoil it but you'll see what i mean as the interview starts but i had the great pleasure of sitting down with uh dr hall uh and we talked about nutrition and the psychology of food choices and we dove into like eating disorders disordered eating anyway this is a really insightful episode i think you're going to love the conversation and i believe you're going to learn a lot in a very short period of time so tune in enjoy the show thank you for being here dr lucretia thank you for coming on number one uh i appreciate you Tell the people who you are. So I'm a psychiatrist and um, I'm a board certified psychiatrist. I trained in child psychiatry, general adult psychiatry, forensic psychiatry, and I'm board certified in addiction medicine. So I try to use all of that training and all those different kinds of things to inform the way that I do my practice. And so some of my specialties are eating disorders, trauma, addiction, personality disorders. So I am in private practice, I have my own private office, and I have a lot of patients that I do therapy. I do, I am one of the old school psychiatrists that still do psychodynamic psychotherapy. And so I utilize a lot of modalities to try to manage and change behaviors. And, um, and I also use a lot of fitness and nutrition to try to work with my eating disorder patients as well, because that is such a huge aspect of what it is that we're doing. And aside from the eating disorders, just my regular general psychiatry patients in terms of trying to promote wellness um, and trying to kind of heal themselves from the inside out. I mean, I am a physician, so I do prescribe medications, but I do try to look at all of the various ways that I can help the patient kind of accomplish their goals and then reach their best self, so to speak. I, I, I love that. And I want to I dive into something that I've never gotten to ask you this before. The forensic piece. I know it doesn't have a whole lot to do with what we're, what we're doing here, but when I hear forensics, I think about detective shows. I think about uh, Rosewood, great show, by the way. You know, I think, I think, I think old school shows. Um, I remember there was a show with Bill Cosby and, uh, and, and Yasin Bey, A Most Death, mm. where Bill Cosby was a forensic psychiatrist or psychologist. Right. Like, are we talking about trials and investigations? Is that what you mean by forensic psychologist? Yeah, that is part of it, right? So there's both the criminal and the forensic aspect of it, right? Um, given that I live in Canada now, I don't really do much criminal work anymore because just the way that the system is set up. So I do do mm -hmm. a lot of civil forensic cases. So that would include personal injury, malpractice, um, someone suing something and they're claiming like psychiatric injury or something like that. So then I evaluate the patient, um, communicate back with the lawyer, look at all the records. And then in certain cases, I will go to um, court and testify as the expert witness. And um, that's kind of what I do on the side. Man, I was, I, I could have named this uh, Law and Order Special Nutrition Unit. Like I missed an <laughs> opportunity there. Uh, I'll never get that back. I, I, I could maybe still do it. Uh, that, that's so that's interesting great. to me. That's great. Yeah, that's so you've got so many facets to what you do. So 
the the second question that's just it's normal for me to ask the second question because I love talking to people, as you know. Um, what brought you to that place? Like, what got you into that line of work? It, it's kind of funny. I mean, I I went to undergrad thinking that I wanted to be a pediatrician. That was my goal. I went to college and I was like, I'm going to be a pediatrician. I majored in biology. And then in my second year, I realized, wow, I hate the study of life. Like, I hate this class. <laughs> right? <laughs> so <laughs> I was like, that's fair. Wow. How am I going to be a physician when I hate the whole study of life? So at the time, I happened to be taking a 400-level psychology course, right? And okay. I loved it. And I read the whole book. Who reads the book in college? No one does that. So Nobody. I read the whole text. And so I decided, I'm like, okay, so what are my options here? I was like, well, there's psychiatry. So I left in my second year, and I went home for the summer, and I got a job as a mental health tech at a residential treatment center for adolescents. And then I got another job as a health, mental health tech and just started kind of going down that path. Path and I decided, mm -hmm. okay, psychiatry, that's what I'm going to do. And I went into med school knowing that I was going to be a psychiatrist and everybody discourages you from, from doing psychiatry. You know, they want to be like, oh, you're not, you're not a real physician, those kinds of right. things. Oh, you're changing right. your mind. And I'm like, no, no, I'm not going to change my mind. This is what I'm doing. This is what I'm meant to do. And, um, and that's what I've been doing ever since. You know, I, um, I never thought that I was going to get into eating disorders. Actually, that was kind of right. accidental. Um, I had finished my forensic program and there was a um, I need a job. Right. And right. I was in California, <laughs> UC Davis. And, and they had an opening at one of the first eating disorder treatment programs in the United States. Uh -huh. So I applied and I started there. And um, that's when I really started getting into eating disorders. I had interestingly had my first eating disorder patient in like 2003 or 2004 or something like that, who I actually still see to this day, who's doing amazing. Um, and um, so then I just really started kind of getting into eating disorders and then doing more addiction work and then looking at the similarities between eating disorders, addictions, and um, worked in a couple other eating disorder facilities and things like that. But my preference is really to do private practice because it just allows me to kind of practice the way that I want to. I love that. So I want to get into the conversation that's going to help the, the women that are in this group, um, because as, as I'm sure you might imagine, my, my certifications are in, you know, nutrition and in, in exercise, corrective exercise, especially some things like that. But eating is such a big part of wellness in general. Uh, it may be it may not be an, an overstatement to say that it could be the biggest area of difficulty for most people in, in the context of wellness. Um, when you get into indigenous, you know, BIPOC populations, black indigenous people of color, it can be even a bigger situation because a lot of what we see in terms of nutritional intervention doesn't really include, um, you know, culturally diverse right. options. Um, and, and we'll, we may touch on that earlier. That's, that, that's not in the list of things that I promise that we talk about again, wink, wink. Um, but I, I want to, I want you to help us draw a differentiation between two terms that we see thrown about on the internet almost all the time, right? Disordered eating and eating disorder, because my understanding is that they are not the same thing. Is that correct? That's correct, right? Um, okay. So, so what's the difference? So, I, I would like to say they kind of 
exist on a continuum, right? You know, from right. kind of quote unquote normal eating up until eating disorders with, you know, disordered eating sliding up and down that kind of um, pathway. To have an eating mm -hmm. disorder, there's very specific criteria that we use in, um, you know, psychiatrists use what's called the DSM-5, the Diagnostic Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders to uh, give a diagnosis. So there's very specific criteria in regard to weight, the frequency of symptoms, how long you've been having the symptoms and those kinds of things. But disordered eating, um, tends to usually have less functional impairment than an actual psychiatric disorder, right? So if we think about any psychiatric disorder, anybody might have symptoms, right? Because people usually kind of throw around words like, oh, I'm bipolar, oh, I'm OCD, oh, I'm this, right? Because people identify with certain symptoms, but you don't really get to a position of having a psychiatric disorder until it's causing a significant functional impairment in your life. Whereas disordered eating, it can be problematic, but it may not be necessarily to the level of an actual eating disorder. And so it's usually, you know, when someone is very preoccupied by food and weight and um, to the point that it's really kind of taking over their life and interfering with what they're doing and becoming a kind of primary concern. And so we see this in people who are doing chronic dieting, yo-yo type of dieting, um, weighing themselves frequently, um, worried about certain types of food groups, like I'm not eating carbs anymore, I'm not eating fats anymore, or, you know, starving themselves or the newest detox or those types of behaviors do tend to fall in disordered eating patterns often. Okay, I'm, I'm going to jump down that rabbit hole with you because uh, now you've got my mind going as a as a certified nutrition coach who has run across a a, a fair spectrum of eating choices. I hear you see, say things like removing entire food groups, and I hear you associate that with disordered eating patterns. Is it safe to, and I'm going to put you on the spot, is it safe to say that if someone comes to me and says, nobody ever says this, well, they don't since the 80s, but you and I were alive in the 80s, so we remember the 80s. We, we remember <laughs> barely, special. Barely. Yeah, ba right, right, okay. <laughs> Doc, Dr. Lucretia's got a few months on me, if, if not a year, and I'm not going to say my age, thereby not outing her as to what her age is. She's, she's a young lady uh, to the eye and in the heart and in the spirit, though. That's all you need to know. Um, but I remember Special K uh, and Tab Cola. You know, I believe the Tad Cola <laughs> advertisement had a cola can and there was a tape measure that squeezed yes. in the waist of the yes, can. Uh, and I remember that lady in the full red uh, um, swimsuit, one piece, diving into water for Special K and the water didn't splash, y'all. Like she, <laughs> she was so slender that there was no disruption to the water. Um, so there were a lot of fat... Uh, you know, anti-fat movement of the 80s, right? Low fat this, don't eat fat that. Are we saying that that is in the spectrum of disordered eating to not eat fat solely based on how it's going to affect your aesthetics or your physicality, how you look? That is that what we're saying? I mean, I think it could be, right? Because I think that the other component is the intentionality, right? And the emotions and the feelings around it and a lot of body image dissatisfaction that goes along with it. You know, there are some people that can engage in things like they could do paleo, they can do keto, they can do intermittent fasting and not be engaging in disordered eating because their motivation and intention is much different than someone who tends to have disordered eating behaviors. Mm -hmm. So, so 
the intent is a lot of what sort of undergirds where we rate it on the spectrum. And if the intent is, I can't eat that, I'm going to get fat. It's pretty much slipping into the area of disordered eating. Absolutely. Because, you know, when someone says, oh, I'm going to get fat, okay, that could be a legitimate non-disordered concern because I'm a female. We right. think about our bodies and, you know, sometimes you're concerned. But to the point that it starts spilling over and interfering with your life and if your mood and self-esteem and the way you interact with people are significantly affected because you think you're fat or you think that your aesthetics are not appropriate, then we're kind of starting, starting to slip into that disordered eating pattern, right? Like, I can't go here. Um, they're going to see me. Um, so-and-so is going to judge me. Um, those types of ideas around food around body that starts to kind of slip you over into disordered eating patterns that makes absolute sense so so let, let's take this a step further generally speaking you know because you deal with clients across the spectrum but you do have that specialization specialization in not only the eating disorders disordered eating but in trauma you know and as a coach who coaches women almost solely, well, not even almost, who solely coaches women, typically women over 30, what I find myself interacting with in conversations from time to time that are sort of uh, revealing conversations um, is trauma, right? It, it springs up, you know, a lot of how they are relating to their self, themselves in terms of their body. They can trace it back to a conversation. Uh, with with a per, uh, with a parent, and I've, I've most recently I heard uh, the this, this is the lady you know in her past she was a the girl sitting at a at a dinner table and her father making some you know relatively in his mind innocuous comment uh, oh you're you're stretching right out of that uh, that short set you know right. you get get those thighs are getting big you know right. not understanding where the perception of that comment would lead his daughter to and not being malicious in any way. Mm -hmm. So, so, so my question is, and this is a broad layered deep question. Take your time with this. I know it is. I'm doing this on purpose because uh, I'm, because I'm a hater. Um, <laughs> my, my question, my question is how does psychiatry fit into a person's nutritional choices and or identity? Like, is there an, how big is that influence in your mind? And answer in whatever way you feel. Yeah, I mean, I, I think at first thought, you know, most people don't assume to make the connection with psychiatry and nutrition. But I mean, on, on one hand, there is a huge, you know, movement for nutritional psychiatry. So there is a place where people are looking at the food, the effects of food on behavior, mood, and those kinds of things. But when mm -hmm. it comes to the, the traumatic piece, right, um, you know, most of my eating disorder patients, my patients with eating disorders have statements like that, you know, that, you know, so-and-so made this comment and then it stuck with them all, them all their lives. You know, I looked over and my, my legs were bigger than my mom's and I felt that that was wrong because I'm younger than her. And so I've been trying my entire life in order to, you know, decrease the size of my legs or somebody makes this comments like, oh, you're quote unquote piggy as a pet name or something like that. And then people start to internalize that. So when you already have some baseline issues, right, whether it's traumatic or self-esteem or something's going on in the family or school, you know, and then somebody makes this kind of pairing to tell you, oh, this is the reason or this is a reason why you're not good enough, then in attempting to kind of repair self and repair your self-esteem, then focusing on food, 
could be one of those ways to try to improve it because, you know, a lot of people will say, um, I got a lot of praise when I lost weight or I got a lot of feedback from my parents and they're like, oh, you're doing a really good job. So then you get that kind of dopamine hit, right? You get that uh, external validation that makes you want to keep moving forward and reaching that goal. But if your underlying issues of, of your self-esteem and your idea of who you are isn't quite um, solidified yet, then you can continue to look for this external validation and it can start to play out in food. You know, I always say that eating disorders or addictions for that matter are not about food or the drug. It's really about the underlying issue and it's manifesting itself in those ways. I, I love that answer because it's, um... It's something that I've asked before in formats where we are both co-moderating a room. Uh, and, and I'll ask it here in front of the people that are listening and the, the folks that come later. And I know they're going to view this on the replay. You know, do we see that? And this wasn't anything that we talked about beforehand, but, but we've had the conversation before. Do we see that? because of the stigma that's sometimes associated with therapeutic environments, with therapy, with counseling, that there are many people who will seek out someone like me because it's socially acceptable, when the step one should probably be seeking out someone like you mm -hmm. to deal with the underlying conditions that are leading to whatever the physical result is, whatever the nutritional um, you know, relationship is like, do we see that? Yes or no. And in your mind, is it common that people do that in that order when it should be the other order? I mean, I think it is common. I mean, a statement that I make often about therapy is a lot of people come to therapy to feel better, not to get better. Right. And because they don't necessarily understand what the underlying issue is. So if you're looking at some external source to make yourself feel better and you think like, oh, if I just lost weight or if I just toned up, then I would feel better. So then that whole perception of it would make someone go out and seek a personal trainer first or go on a diet or, you know, buy the newest shake or detox product that then externally, if I can do all these things, then I'm going to feel better about myself. But the truth is, is that, you know, given that the issue isn't about food or body, there's never an end point, right? So that's how you can end up continuing to lose weight and lose weight and lose weight and never feel okay because the issue wasn't everybody in the first place, right? This podcast is sponsored by Fitness Jones Training. If you're a woman over 30 who wants to build her healthiest body and her healthiest relationship with food, and if you're ready to ditch diet culture, no weighing, measuring food, no calorie counting, and no excessive cardio bouts night after night, then Fitness Jones Training may be the solution for you. Feel free to contact us on Instagram at at Fitness Jones Training, or via email, renjones at fitnessjonestraining.com. We'll see if you might be a good fit for our programs. Back to the show. You know, I'm sitting here and somebody says, I want to lose 15 pounds, or I want to get him back in my size six jeans, or I want to be able to do 10 push-ups, you know, strict form. And I'm like, bam, 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 bam. And I'm like, there you go. I saw it and they're like, it's just not working for me. And, and, and now I'm coming to understand that those underlying issues, which are out of my scope of practice, but I ran into that a lot early on. And it, and it was, it was, it was actually challenging for me to wrap my mind around 
well, we did all the stuff. Why aren't you happy? Um, and 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 I'll ask your professional opinion in this way, and 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 we'll be closing out soon. But it, it's not something that I had anticipated asking you. What's what's good language for a coach in in that in that situation? Like like myself, who is not working on that side of wellness. You know, what's a simple good way to be compassionate and concerned, and then say? Over to you, Dr. Lucrece. Right, right. I mean, first, uh, let me just say, because I have this conversation with my patients all the time when they go to see a trainer or they go to the gym. And, I, and, and I'm very specific. I'm like, make sure you tell them not to weigh you. Do not talk about your body. Do not talk about these kinds of things. I was like, lay that out from the door. Otherwise, you're going to get end up getting triggered just from the training, right? So I would say, you know, if they're putting out these lists like, oh, I want to lose 15 pounds, the question is why? Oh, I want to look better. Why? Well, because then I'll feel better. Why? Why don't you feel good now? Right? And, and when you kind of dig on that why 10, 10 whys down, then they'll often say, oh, well, you know, if I don't lose weight, people aren't going to love me or I might be rejected or, you know, maybe I'm not going to get this job because mm -hmm. the first why they often don't know themselves why they feel like they want to lose weight, especially someone who's not in treatment or hasn't had um, an understanding of why they're doing what they're doing. So we're talking, you know, the general general population person who may have disordered eating or, or an eating disorder that hasn't been diagnosed. They think they really believe that it's just about the food or the body. So they know I just want to lose weight. It's going to make me feel better. And then, you know, five, 10 wise down, then you start kind of picking up what their fears are. And then that can kind of give you the information that this is really not about the workout program, program or not about just changing your body or your food. It's really about something deeper that they're trying to get that need met through changing their body shape or weight. Yeah, that's, that's such a valid point. I mean, Oh, there's there's so many layers. There's m many more layers than what this 30 minutes will allow us to dive into. Uh, but I hope that we've given people a, a sort of a surface level understanding, if nothing else, of just how intertwined what's happening in the mind and what's happening with your body and your ch food choices can be. And then we've got a whole nother realm to discuss if we're talking about the physical relationship between the gut and serotonin and the brain and the, the pathways that we now know go in both directions, uh, a, a conversation for another time, perhaps next month. But before we get out of here, before I let you go, uh, I want to ask you if you could think of some actionable items, like what do you think, and I know you, you know, we can't diagnose or treat anything in this format. We just don't even know the people that are watching. We can't speak directly to them. Um, but are there some tips that you might give for normalizing your food or figuring out if it needs to be normalized? Like if you had to give any actionable items, what would you say? Um, you're right. It's a big question, right? I mean, there has been some data to come out that suggests that people who tend to eat mindfully are less likely to move into disordered eating. Now, I recognize that mindfulness is like a really buzz, big buzzword. Everybody's saying about saying it on the you know internet and social media and those kinds of things. But the idea of really being present with your food and being very intentional with what you're eating and why you're eating it, um, as opposed to kind of just 
eating while you're watching TV or, you know, running from one place to the next, that type of intentional mindful eating does tend to decrease the likelihood for someone to be um, uh, not engaging in disordered eating, as well as, you know, I think I've mentioned this before, not focusing on the aesthetic piece, right? Mm -hmm. You know, this to, to have a really bigger, broader goal, like, aesthetics is fine you know people like to pay attention to their aesthetics but if that's the main goal that that's one of the things that is more likely to allow you to do things that are not in your best interest to reach your goal versus wellness being under the goal you know i try to tell my patients you know like let's focus on this and all of these other things that you think that you want to happen will trickle down and will mm-hmm. change along with it but if this one particular thing is your goal then you will mess up your whole body health physiology trying to reach this one goal and then you right. finally get it the number on the scale is lower and you still feel miserable right so the right. idea is wellness then under wellness your aesthetics may change your mood may change all of these different things may change as well i love what you said about uh about uh, the cascade the trickle down of things extending from wellness there's a great quote and i believe it's a um it's an economics law. It's called Goodhart's law. And the law says that when a measure becomes a goal, it ceases to be a good measure. And I always immediately re, re sort of, uh, I almost immediately uh, put that together with uh, weight loss, office pools for weight loss, right? Mm-hmm. You know, saying where we're going to get healthy at the office. So we're going to have a weight loss challenge. Right. Whoever has the most significant weight loss at the end of January. They're going to get this pot of $500. Right. Losing weight is not the goal. Health is. Right. Weight can be a measure of health. It's correct. Rarely accurate, but it can be. But when you take that measure, weight, and make it a goal, mm-hmm. which it shouldn't be, mm-hmm. it ceases to be a good measure because people do that shit crazy things Absolutely. to get the scale down Absolutely. in January to win that $500. So I love that you said that. Dr. LaCrescia, tell the people where they can find you. What What's the best way to reach out to you if they need to? The Probably the easiest way to get me is on my Instagram. Um, so my Instagram is drfitgame at dr, I think it's dot fitgame. I think it's dot. Yeah, I think it's dot, at dr dot fitgame. And um, you can DM me there, and then I will be happy to respond to whatever questions you have. Hey, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. Please feel free to leave me a review. Those reviews really help me, especially since I'm starting out. And subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And also tell a friend. And if you listen to the podcast, you got some information from it, don't hesitate to tag me on social media with a screenshot of the podcast on your phone. Send me a question, Ren Jones at fitnessjonestraining.com. I'd love to answer some questions for you, interact with you. Until next time, have a good one.